All righty, God bless you guys. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. We're going to look at the last four verses that we had left over from last week, and then we will start in chapter 13. So if you got your outline, it's two-sided. So look on the Hebrews 12 side first. And we talked last week about it's time to make a stand. It's time for us to make a stand for the Lord. Uh, remember that in Hebrews, the first 10 chapters talk about the supremacy of Christ, that Jesus is better. And because Jesus is better, uh, we can have faith, we can have peace in the midst of difficult times. Not only did we see that Jesus is better, but then in chapter 11, we saw examples of faithful servants that have gone before us. And so we've seen that the Lord is better. We've seen the examples of others that we can follow. And so we're going to pick up there in It's Time to Stand. Last week, we looked at to walk in spirit-filled holiness or flesh-driven bitterness. Guys, we either walk in holiness or we walk in bitterness. We either walk in holiness or we walk in sin. And God's called us to live lives that are holy and set apart. Uh, so the law of Mount Sinai or the grace of Mount Zion, if you were here last week, we saw the difference. The law cannot save you. The law shows us that we're sinners in need of a Savior. The law, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, is a taskmaster or a schoolmaster that leads us to the cross. We saw the difference with the grace of God. And now we're going to look at, are you standing upon the rock of Jesus Christ or under his divine judgment? And then we'll get to chapter 13, and we're going to look at the first six verses, Lord willing. So let's begin there in verse 25. And it says there, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they do not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. They're being reminded of the judgment that came upon those who heard the word of God delivered from Mount Sinai and how they turned away from it and the heavy consequences that came. And the heavy price paid for walking in disobedience to the old covenant law when Moses came down and they were worshiping a golden calf. And throughout the Old Testament, those rebelled against the old covenant faced righteous judgment. But how much more will we face righteous judgment if we reject the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? You know, if we, re if we walked outside of the law, then judgment is coming. But guys, we're, our, we're the most responsible and the most accountable of all people who've ever lived because we have the completed revelation. We have the whole counsel of God. We, have the, we, know, we look back to the cross of Calvary when they were looking forward at a shadow dimly. We've seen it. We know the truth. We have the completed, again, word of God. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So no one is more, more accountable to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the truth found in God's word than we are. We have more exposure to, to Christian radio. We have commentaries. We have Bibles in different versions. I mean, you know, you, if you were looking for the Lord, by the way, in the 70s, they used to have these stickers that said, I found Jesus. I, they used to say, I didn't know he was lost. Because the reality is, we're the ones who've been lost. Jesus is not hiding. Amen? And we're accountable to who Jesus is and what he has done. And if they were accountable in the old covenant, how much more accountable are we now today? The one who speaks from heaven. They could not escape from the law of Moses. How much more accountable will they be to Almighty God as he speaks from heaven the gospel of grace? And it says in verse 26, whose voice then shook the earth, but know he has promised, saying, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. See, uh, the, the earth quaked at Mount Sinai. 
And the presence of God, when he spoke, it brought such great fear into the hearts of the people. The voice of God just brought them to a place of just trembling to the point where they said, Moses, you just go talk to him yourself and come back and tell us what he says because we can't handle it when he speaks. Can you imagine that? I'd love to hear the voice of God and we're gonna hear it, amen? But can you imagine being at Sinai and God just speaking? And, the, and, and again, we see the awe and the reverence that comes. And I want to make sure that we all understand that we don't doubt God, question God. We don't do, why? Because he's God and we're not, amen? And he's almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful. And there should be a reverence and an awe. And you know what? The world we live in today is a mess because there's no fear of God. Guys, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And he said, look, you think the Mount Sinai shook? Wait, there's a whole lot of shaking coming. Can I get an Amen. There's going to be a whole lot of shaking going on because he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to shake not only, the, not only the earth, but all of the heavens. Boy, I long for that day to see our Savior face to face. What a great and awesome God we serve. The great tribulation is coming. Whether you think it's seven years or three and a half, if you think it's three and a half, we love you, but God bless you. But you'll be glad when we're right and we all leave before it starts, but it's okay. We agree to disagree. It's, it's a secondary issue, amen? But... Look what it says there in verse 27. Now this, yet once more, indicates removal of those things which are being shaken, as the things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Again, those who were truly his could not be shaken. Everyone around them was shaken. You know why we don't shake? Because we're standing on the rock. Amen? Amen. The foundation we stand on, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to. Now again, do we all have moments of fear? Raise your hand if you have moments of fear. Moments of anxiety, moments of worry, we all do, okay? But the difference is, we don't have to live there. We don't have to camp out there. We don't have to stay there, because we can turn to the one who's in control. We've talked about how fear, anxiety, and worry are all the opposite of faith, but we have moments where we're faithless. That's true of all of us. Can I get an amen to that? Okay, so that's what we say, Lord, help. Lord, restore my faith again. Lord, take away this fear and anxiety that I'm feeling Because, guys, we're standing on the rock, and the rock is immovable. The wise man builds his house upon the rock. When the storm comes, when the waves crash, we don't move. Amen? We'll not be moved. We'll not be shaken. Why? Because we stand upon Jesus Christ. The world, you know, the foolish man builds his house upon the sand. And when it starts shaking a little bit, he panics. We live in a world today that's in full-blown panic. Amen? But we don't need to panic because we know it's in control, and we're standing on the rock and we serve a faithful God. So good. Amen. By the way, read the Bible. You'll shake a lot. You'll be shaking a lot less. Can I get an amen? When you read the Bible, your faith is restored. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by word of God. It's our theme verse. It's the name of our radio program. Faith comes by hearing. Guys, when we read the word of God, it's amazing how we don't walk in fear. It's amazing how we're not worried all the time because we know who's in control. If you want to know God better, spend time in his word. If you want your faith to grow, spend time in his word. You want to hear God speak out loud, open up your Bible and read it out loud. Amen? Read the book, don't wait for the movie. Spend time in God's word. A great shaking was about to take place, the very temple they were tempted to return to. Remember that this is the first century church, and a lot of the Jews that we've talked about, we have some visitors and new people, the Jews were being tempted to go back to the temple. And they were being tempted to go back because... That was their tradition, and it was God's plan, the old covenant, until Jesus came. And Jesus did away with the law. 
did away with the old covenant. And the old covenant, again, has been made obsolete. We're no longer under the old covenant. Now, we love the Old Testament. Don't get those two things confused. Jesus fulfilled the law. Amen. And we love the Old Testament because it points to the Lord. I encourage you to come on Thursday nights. Jesus is in every chapter. But at the same time, we don't have to live in this place of fear like they did. So what, here's what was happening. Everybody's still going to the temple where they went for their whole life. And they're meeting in houses, and Christians are being fed to lions, and some are being set on fire, and some are being thrown in prison. But if I go back to Judaism, I'll be with my family. Oh, the shofar's still blowing. They're still making sacrifices. Why wouldn't I want to go back to that? Over here, yeah, okay, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but that was his plan before. Can't I just go back? And some of you may feel that way. Maybe you grew up in a religious tradition, and you know for you it was spiritually dead. You didn't come to know Christ until you left it. And now you know Jesus, and now you're born again, and now you're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But you not only have, you know, they had persecution from the outside, and they were being drawn back by their own families, the people that love, they love the most. And guys, we need to love our family, but we love Jesus more. And we don't disobey God to make our families happy. We don't disobey God to make anyone happy. We obey God. I will obey God rather than man. Amen. So that same drawing was happening, but he said, hey, shaking's coming. Guess what? AD 70, what happened to the temple? It was destroyed. And I know that God destroyed it, allowed it to be destroyed for a reason, because they were putting their faith in the temple. That's the reason the Ark of the Covenant's gone. He doesn't want people worshiping the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant points to Jesus, amen? And we don't need the furniture anymore. We've got the Savior, and when it was God's plan, it was perfect. It was wonderful. But now that we have Jesus, it's so much better. You know, it's funny, both the, uh, the two church plants I've been involved with in Santa Cruz, we met in a gym for 10 years. And a lot of people, I just did the memorial service for my assistant, and everybody just said, man, I loved it because it was just stripped down church, bro. You know, we just worshiped Jesus and studied the Bible, and it was freezing in the winter and hot in the summer. We sat on metal chairs. So you got a way better here. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> sat on them rusty metal chairs. But you know what? Guys, you don't have to advertise the fire. And when God's doing a work, you want to be there. Amen? And we need the simplicity of God's word, and we don't need to be caught up in all the other. And there's nothing wrong with buildings or anything like that. And eventually, we may have one. But, it, but guys, this is the church not the building. Amen. And he said, look, more shaking's coming. Let me finish up because we need to get to the next chapter. And he says here, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom, which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Because we cannot be shaken, because we have the grace of God, let us remain faithful to serve God. Let's remain faithful to take all that God has given us. When the world is shaking, they look at those who are not shaken. And that's who God has called us to be. And then look at the final verse here, for our God is a consuming fire. We have a lot of fires in this state. It's just a matter of when the fires break out, not if. But here's the good news. There's a fire we need in this state. We need the consuming fire of the Holy Spirit to fall down in this place, amen? And when you saw the tongues of fire come upon them in Acts chapter 2, our God is a consuming fire. You know what fire does? It melts away the dross. It purifies the gold. It's, a, it's something that purifies. And guys, praise, we need the fire of God to fall upon California, amen? And may it start in our hearts first. Again, at the surety of God's judgment, 
It's coming. He's a consuming fire. For those that don't know the Lord, you should be afraid. For those of us who know the Lord, we can rejoice. Amen? The cross of Christ is a reminder of the greatest act of love in all of human history. Guys, it all comes down to what you've done with God's Son. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to the Lord. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with him, if he's not, not just your Savior but your Lord, then you should fear judgment. You should fear COVID. You should fear getting in your car because you may stand before the creator of the universe today. But here's the good news. If you know the Lord, you don't have to fear. And for Christians, you can't threaten us with heaven. Amen? Because heaven is better. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Christians don't die. We just move to a much better neighborhood. Amen? We close our eyes on earth. We open them up in glory. All right, now, Hebrews 13, flip your, your uh, thing over, and I had planned on getting a lot further than the first six verses, but that's not going to happen. So I tell the message, living by faith. So see, we know that we've got the example of the 10 chapters that Jesus is better. Then we saw the example that we had in Hebrews 11 and the exhortation in Hebrews 12. And so in light of who Jesus is and what he's done and the examples that have gone before us, now comes the practicality. I've shared this with you before. In all of Paul's letters, all of them, this is how we be, what we believe, this is how we behave. This is, what, this is what we believe, this is how we behave. So if you read Ephesians, belief, behavior. Colossians, belief, behavior. Same thing here in Hebrews. Now most of it is belief. 12 chapters worth of, 10 chapters worth of who Jesus is, the reminders, the examples before us. And now in this last chapter, this is the practical application of because of who we are in Christ, how should we live our lives? Now, let me just say this. I want to make this really clear. Your good works cannot save you. Amen? So it's all the Lord. He gets all the glory. He gets all the praise. It's only because of him. When we know that we've been redeemed and forgiven, we praise the Lord. It's not about us. We're sinners in desperate need of a savior, and Jesus came and redeemed us. Amen? At the same time, by your fruit, they shall know you. So it's not the source of salvation, but this is the fruit of salvation. This is not how we're saved, but this is how we should live since we've been saved. And I'm actually glad we have the youth group in here because we've got some heavy stuff we're going to look at in the next few verses. And just one thing after another, and let's, uh, you know what, let's take all this to heart, amen? Let's take it all to heart. So we're going to see enjoying spiritual fellowship. First, let brotherly love continue. Don't forget to entertain strangers. Remember those who are suffering for the cause of Christ. We're going to see that marriage is honorable, uh, that the bed is undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. And then finally, let your conduct be without covetousness. So let's begin there, looking first at living by faith, enjoying spiritual fellowship. Let your brotherly love continue. Here it says in verse 1, let your brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain angels, for by doing, some have unwittingly, uh, uh, to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Let your brotherly love continue. So this means that the brotherly love is already there. So it can't continue if it's not there. So here they are facing great opposition. Here they are facing great persecution. Yet they love each other. One of the best compliments that we get as a fellowship, especially people that may visit once, they'll text me or they'll send me an email and they'll say, you know, we wish we lived near your fellowship because we've been going to a church for five years and we felt more loved in one week at your church than we did in five years. Now, but guys, that's, that's because you're being faithful to do that. 
Amen? I'm the hugging pastor. You show up more than once, you're getting a hug from me. Why? Because you know what? What would Jesus do if he was here? Amen? He'd be loving on us. So this brotherly love, this agape love, but the word here for brotherly love is Philadelphia. It's from the, the root of Philadelphia, phileo. It's that, it's that brotherly love. They shall know us by the love we have one for another. And again, in ancient Greek, it's phileo. It speaks of a love of deep friendship and partnership. And the basis for our fellowship is our common bond in Christ and the supernatural love for one another that it produces. You've heard me say it before. One more time won't hurt you. Blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. When we have Jesus in common, we have everything in common. I went to the pastor's conference. I'm there with six or 700 other pastors. And it was just a blessing just to be there, just to be around people who are serving the Lord and loving Jesus, to worship alongside them. It's a taste of heaven. Amen? And, it's, and so I, I did have a young man at the memorial service who went to our church and he said, you know, I went to your church for nine years. I felt like I was just playing church. I don't think church is the answer. We just need to be organic and run into people wherever we do. Well, you got a Bible verse for that? <laughs> Forsake not the gathering yourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. Amen? And the reality is, if you come to church for 10 years at a church where the word of God's being taught and you don't change, that's not the Bible's fault. That's your fault. Can I get an amen to that? Because look, the word of God can go forth with power. And we don't base, our, base how the church should be on, on our own experience. Well, I experienced a church that just wasn't, well, okay. Change you then, amen? Because look, people are getting saved. Lives are being changed. God is being glorified, amen? And God's word doesn't return void. And that, let that brotherly love continue. Now, notice he does say there, and I love this because it is the basis for our fellowship. And as Christians, again, the first century Jews, you know, they could, would come together and be a source of encouragement to each other. They would come and put their arms around each other. Somebody else just got captured and thrown in jail. Someone else was just thrown to the lions. Somebody else, and they would come together and encourage each other and love on each other and minister to each other. And that's what the body of Christ looks like. They shall know us by the love we have one for another. It says in Romans 12, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. That's esteeming others greater than yourself. It says in 1 Peter, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth of the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. So we need to love, we need to be loving to each other. And I think you guys do a wonderful job of that. But I want you to notice that the rest of that verse, what does he talk about? He talks about strangers. Now, he's reminding these struggling early Christians, again, that they're family. By the way, here at Calvary Chapel, we don't have church membership. You show up, we adopt you, your family. Amen? So if it's your first time here today, we adopted you without your consent. We just adopted you. <laughs> You're part of the family. We love you. All those who watch on live stream all over the country, your family too. And because, again, that commonality of Christ, we are family because we got the same dad. Amen? Amen? Our heavenly father. It's based on, again, who we are in Christ. But the life, that Christ, they, the, the life that they had in Christ was bound by the Holy Spirit that dwelt within them and the fellowship based on anything other than a, a holy relationship with the Lord. Any other relationship you have that isn't centered on Christ and the Holy Spirit will not last. First of all, it probably won't last in this lifetime, and it definitely won't last after this lifetime. Amen? But the relationships that we have are eternal. So that means we better get along. Amen? If you got a problem with somebody who's here, you better just get right, because you're going to be hanging out with them forever. Amen? 
And so there needs to be that brotherly love. Without the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the church is nothing more than a religious country club. Amen? If the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, this is a waste of time. I'll share something with you. Every time during the last worship song, I'm standing right over here. You know what I'm praying for? Lord, you need to show up. Lord, please show up. If you don't show up, this is a waste of time. Pour your Holy Spirit upon this place. Less of me, more of you. Please, Lord, please, Lord, show up. Please, Lord, show up. Amen? Because if he doesn't show up, again, this is the Kiwanis or the Elks Club or something. It's not church. Amen? We're going to spend eternity together. And you know what? What could grieve the heart of God more than his own children fighting? You know, as a parent, it breaks my heart when my kids aren't talking to each other or they're fighting with each other. It breaks my heart. And I'm a a flawed, earthly dad. How much more does it break the heart of our Savior? And I want to encourage us, let's not divide over non-essentials. Can I get an amen? Mask, no mask. Vax, no vax. Do what what the Lord calls you to do. Be faithful to that. I'll support you either way. Can I get an amen to that? But that has nothing to do with with heaven and hell. Can I get an amen? Amen? Amen. That's better, okay? And let's not divide over non-essentials, please. Let's love each other unconditionally. Love each other as Christ loves us. Again, his love for us is unconditional. Aren't you glad? I'm so glad. Then it says there, so first we've seen brotherly love, but don't forget to entertain strangers. Now, it says, don't forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Now, the word for strangers there doesn't mean uh, unbelievers necessarily. It really more so means like people in this fellowship. Now, here's what can happen to all of us if we're not careful, but you guys are really good at this. But somebody new comes. Is it hard to come to church for the first time by yourself? What's the answer? You come in, everybody's hugging on each other, and you just feel like, whoa, and they meet outside, oh no, you know what I mean? And it's hot here. Where's the AC? They don't care about us. You know, here's the thing. <laughs> but you come to a new church, and even though this is your family, you've never met anybody. And really what it's talking about here with strangers is you have brotherly love for the people that you already know, but we've got people in our family that we don't know yet. And so when they come here, and some of you are so good at this, because it's so easy to run to the same eight people that we love, and nothing wrong with that. But let's make sure that anybody new who walks in the door here gets, gets uh, loved on so much that they leave here with diabetes. Can I get an amen? <laughs> so much sugar poured out on them. Can I get an amen? My, grandparents, my grandfather used to say to my grandma, give me some sugar. So I just remember that. And, and you know what? Let's just love on people the way that Jesus would love them. Amen. So look around. It's not about us. It's how can we minister to somebody else? And let's make sure that people feel welcomed and loved. Where there's a true Christian love, there will always be hospitality. Notice it says, you know, you entertain them. Hospitality is an important virtue and it's commanded of Christians. Back in those days, they didn't really have hotels. I mean, if they did, they were bad news. It's where the prostitutes hung out. And so if you were traveling a great distance... You had to rest in the hospitality of somebody along the road to invite you into their house. And so that hospitality is something that we should do. We should be opening up our homes. Now, there's one thing I miss. I grew up in the Baptist church. I got saved at the First Baptist Church of Wilmington in Mrs. Green's Sunday school class in 1968. And one thing I do remember about growing up in the Baptist church is that every Sunday, my mom would put something for, you know, put a pot roast in the oven, not knowing who was coming over, just knowing somebody was coming over. And at the end of church, you'd always invite somebody home. 
And you know, I remember being in Lancaster, and, it was, and my wife and I kind of carried on that tradition for years where every Sunday, now when you live in Lancaster and it's 110 and you have a pool, that's attractive. So I had a pool. <laughs> And I would just go up to new people and say, hey, is this your first time here? Hey, why don't you come over? Well, bar- and, and barbecuing is easier than a pot roast. So come on over, and I'll barbecue and, and get your kids swim trunks, and we'll go swimming. And do you know that there are people that, that was uh, 25 years ago, and some of the people that are my closest friends are people that I met that way? People that I invited over. One guy I invited over. It was his first Sunday there. He ended up getting, he wasn't even saved yet. He got saved weeks later. He became my worship leader in Santa Cruz. Another guy that I invited over, he's, he's probably my closest friend in a lot of ways today. He lives in New York. We talk often, and he's the guy that, you know, I mean, and all these relationships come from being hospitable. By the way, that's God's house, not yours. I don't want any people coming over to God's house. It's God's house. Let's open our doors. Can I get an amen to that? Let's invite people over. Let's you look. And sometimes when you invite the new guy over, it says here, you might be entertaining an angel. Amen? God, that would, how awesome would that be? We get to heaven and God said, yeah, send an angel on you know, September 5th to your church. Yeah, you treat them. Sometimes you entertain angels unaware. Amen? Amen? People that are new like, dude, they're going to think I'm an angel. No, here's the reality. <laughs> Which isn't all that bad, right? But we need to be hospitable. We need to be kind and loving. We need to esteem others greater than ourselves. This is how we live when we walk with the Lord. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4.9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. It's in Romans 12.3, it says, disturbing, distribu- distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. And I love that hospitality. I love just spending unhurried time. That's why I love the agape feast today. I love when we just stop, and I know it's going to be warm here. Let's sit at a table. Let's meet some new people we haven't met before. Let's love on each other. Let's encourage each other. Let's use the gifts God's given us to minister to each other. Amen? I want to encourage you to do that. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus, the pastors are given to hospitality. It's extremely important in the early church, again, because of all the persecution that had driven many from their homes. There were traveling ministers who needed a place to stay. The church itself met in homes, and again, they would step up and they would open up their house to minister to other people. A huge part of enjoying spiritual fellowship is, again, to open up our homes to others in a practice that is lacking in much of the church today. Here's what some people do. They come to church right when worship's ending, and they sit in the back, and then right when the last song starts to start, they run out, get in their car, and drive away so they don't have to meet anybody. I stand at the back, so when you walk in, I'm hugging you. They're not getting away with that. Can I get an amen? But there's, I, and I get it though. You want, sometimes we just want to be fed, but we, I, I don't like people. We'll get over it. They, you know, you're not that likable either. We're going to love each other anyway. <laughs> amen. And we need to just love each other unconditionally. The enemy's goal is to keep you isolated. He wants you isolated. Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. We need fellowship. Amen. And if you don't have fellowship, you can't use your gifts. And if you're not using your gifts, you're, min- you're missing out. The people that grow the most are the ones who minister the most. We, now, again, it's, we need, all need to be ministered to, but there's a point where we need to go from just being a ministry to being a minister. Amen? And how does that happen when we gather together? He wants to keep you isolated. Our flesh hates that you leave our comfort zone. 
We had some people that finally admitted it to me. You know, they were on Zoom, and then, you know, we were back, and they still weren't back. And I'd run into them, and like, you know what? It's kind of, it's kind of nice to be eating bacon in my pajamas watching on live stream. <laughs> One guy said amen. He's not ashamed of it. <laughs> It's like working from home. Here's my five-step commute to work, right? Here's my seven-step commute to church. <laughs> Pop it on live stream. What's it on? Bacon. And you can flip over and check the, the football score in the middle of service. <laughs> it's a temptation. I get it. Don't let the enemy win. Don't let the enemy win. Be in fellowship. For us to grow as a body and individuals, we need to go beyond the surface hello and goodbye into true and deeper fellowship, using our gifts to minister one to another. One of the things, again, as I remember growing up, is just that, those opportunities to, to invite people into our homes. You know, it's interesting that when he says entertaining angels, you know, we, we know that happened with Lot and Abraham. They were messengers of God. And, and I do believe that the key point he's making here is when we extend hosti- hospitality, it is often we are the ones who are most ministered to. And there are times in my life where I don't know, we'll find out when we get to heaven, where I think an angel might have showed up. We were in Mexico when I was a youth pastor in San Jose, and one of the youth group kids was talking he, he, he knew Spanish, and he was talking to somebody on the street and witnessing to him, and I was just standing there. And this kid was like six, 17 years old. And he turns to me and says, Pastor Dave, I could really use a Spanish-English Bible right now. I'm like, well, I don't have one of those. I kid you not, 30 seconds later, a guy walks up. He's wearing an orange shirt that says, Jesus saves. And he walks up and said, hey, I think you guys might need this. It was a Spanish-English Bible. And he kept walking, and I turned around and looked, and he was gone. I'm like, either that dude's fast, either that's Carl Lewis, or that might have been an angel or something, right? <laughs> we don't know. There was a time when my brother was like 15 years old, he was drowning, got caught in a riptide, and he goes way, way out there. I mean, and, and there was no, it was in the winter, no lifeguards. And all of a sudden, these two guys got my brother, brought him in, and we were all hugging our brother. He was okay, and everything's fine. And we looked up to say thank you to him. I kid you not, there was nobody else on the beach for 100 yards, and we couldn't find Now, I don't know. Only God knows. But guys, isn't it good to know that if God needs to, he can send an angel to help out? Can I get an amen to that? Our God is greater. Sometimes we entertain angels unaware. And praise God for that. But sometimes you're the messenger he wants to use. Amen? Someone needs a hug, he wants to use your arms. Someone needs a word of encouragement. He wants to use your lips. May we be tools in the hands of the master. May we be available. May we pray daily. Give me a divine appointment today, Lord. Give me a divine appointment today. I was calling a lady yesterday on, about my direct TV. There was a problem with it, and I called her on the phone. And I hope she didn't get in trouble. We ended up talking about the Lord for an hour. Lady on direct TV, Lisette, you said you're going to be watching. Hey, God bless you in, in Florida. <laughs> I know I have a face for radio, but it's okay. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Divine appointments. Amen? We're tools in the hands of the master. We're talking about cable television. And then we start talking. She asked for my email address, davidjohnston at calvarychapel.com. Oh, Calvary Chapel. Yeah, I'm a pastor. Oh, well, praise the Lord. Yeah, I grew up this way. Why haven't I been going to church? How come? Long story. Guys, let's pray daily. Lord, use me. Amen? Do you know that's a prayer hall answer? Lord, use me today. Give me a divine appointment today. And he will bring it. Amen? Pray for it. Look for opportunities. 
Jesus said, when I was hungry, you gave me meat. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a, sta- a stranger and you took me in. Guys, when we reach out to people, when we minister to others, we are ministering to the Lord. And that's what God's heart for us. So don't forget to entertain strangers. Point number three, remember those who are suffering for the cause of Christ. Boy, this is appropriate right about now. Amen? Amen. How many of you guys ever heard of Fox's Book of Martyrs? Okay, or the DC Talk Jesus Freak book, which I used to read in my daily devotions, and I keep giving it away. i got to buy another one. But I would read about somebody suffering for Christ every day, along with my devotions. It would just remind me just how, how we need to be thankful for how God has blessed us, but also be willing to suffer for the cause of Christ if necessary. Amen? And so reading those things and that, that word of encouragement, and I, it's been said, and again, I don't have the quote on this, I don't have the backing for this, but here's what I've been, been told, that in the last hundred years, more people have been martyred for the cause of Christ than all of human history before that. Now keep in mind, the population's way larger today than ever. But there are people being put to death for their faith all the time. And we haven't really experienced it. We're finding a little bit of trials because they might try to shut us down and keep us from having church. But people are being, you know, put to death. And most recently in Afghanistan, we continue to pray for them. Amen. But look what it says in verse 3. Remember the prisoners as you are chained with them, those who are mistreated since you yourselves are the body also. See, when anybody in the body of Christ suffers, we suffer. Amen? It should break our hearts when we see somebody suffering for the cause of Christ. It's also, and please, don't take this wrong, but sometimes when we're, you know, moaning about our circumstances, we need to be mindful of people who are imprisoned right now, suffering torment and torture, and are going to be put to death for their faith in Christ, and put that in a little perspective to the fact that we're bummed out that we don't have fans at church on Sunday morning, amen, or whatever it is. Because what happens is that we can be so overwhelmed by our circumstances that we don't remember how blessed we truly are. You know, prisoners, by the way, I think prison ministry is amazing. I've been able to do prison ministry off and on probably for 20 years of my life. Used to go down to every, every Monday night for years down here into Camarillo to the fire camp, and then they finally kicked us out because of COVID. I know Camp 13, they've been going there for decades, and again, kicked out because of COVID. But you know what? We need to minister to people who are in jail, but also, and that's one application, and that's a wonderful thing, and I think we should do more of it. Amen? You do truly have a captive audience. It's pretty good, actually. You know, where are you going? <laughs> When their options are work in the yard or go to church, people show up. But the word of God, but the word of God goes forth with power and lives get changed. Amen. There are people that got saved in that prison that still write me all the time. And I got a card from one family's parents. We've been praying for our son for 25 years, and he got led to the Lord in prison when you were there. And you're an answer to 25 years of prayer. Thank you for ministering to our son. It's got nothing to do with me. It's just being available. Amen. And God wants to use you, and God has a heart and a desire to use you. But it's the reference here to those in prison for the gospel. The Christians were under bondage of the Roman Empire when this was written. And again, as we sit in our comfortable, warm homes, enjoying religious freedom, it's easy to forget those who are suffering. And I know I'm guilty of that myself. I know I will will go a month without thinking about it once. Anybody like me? Amen? But we need to be mindful. We need to be praying. The Lord loves them. 
Imprisonment and suffering not limited to the first century church. And again, I've heard it said that more have suffered in the last hundred years than all of human history. When I would go to Gospel for Asia, uh, I'd go every year in October and I'd teach between two or three hundred to a thousand pastors in a two-week period on how to study and teach the Bible. And many of them had come out of Islam or out of Hinduism, and now they're Christians, and now they're going to go plant churches and they're getting trained before they get sent out. And I remember asking the head of Gospel for Asia for the group, that about a thousand guys at this one school I was teaching, and I said, how many of these guys are going to be persecuted for their faith, like physically beaten or persecuted? He goes, what do you mean? I said, what percentage? He goes, what do you mean what percentage? All of them. I'm like, all of them? He goes, yeah, all of them. And they would go into a town and dig two graves. They'd go out two by two, and they'd let everybody in town know, well, we're staying, and if you kill us, our, di- our graves are already out here because we're not leaving. So guys, and then we're like, I can't talk to my neighbor because they might not like me anymore. Hey, man. <laughs> People are laying down their lives for Jesus. Every time I would go to minister to these guys, they'd be so appreciative. I'm like, you have no idea that you're ministering to me way more than I'm ministering to you. I'm like, can I bring a few of these back? (laughs) Amen. We need some people ready to die for a thousand oaks. Amen. We need people like that. And praise God. I mean, so if you had a son or a daughter or brother or sister being tortured in prison for the sake of the gospel, what links would you go to to help them? And how often would you pray? Well, guess what? We've got brothers and sisters in prison for Christ. We need not take that lightly. Can I get an amen to that? We need to be reminded of that. We need to pray for them. Again, so heartbreaking. Being identified with these prisoners was dangerous, but they were called to do it. Paul and Timothy, while in prison, what does Paul tell Timothy? I want you to know this. Like in, when they were in prison in those days, they didn't even give them necessarily food. They had to, work, had to have people from the outside help them. They didn't necessarily have the proper clothing. Remember, what does Paul say when he writes to Timothy? Paul never asked for anything. And what does he ask for? Bring me my what? Bring my cloak or my coat. It's freezing here. And bring me the word of God. Amen? If I can have a jacket and my Bible, I'm good. Amen? I'll sit in this dungeon forever, and I'll just worship the Lord. It's okay. And guys, we need to have that heart. Now, I'm going to get into some heavy stuff here. And I'm not going to pull any punches, but I'll try to do this with as much tact as I can. Verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornication, fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Marriage is honorable. Teaching then, and still today, that is, it is some taught that it's more... Uh, spiritually single. And if God calls you to be single, you be faithful in your singleness. Amen? And whenever I teach on marriage, I always want to be mindful of people that want to be married that aren't. You be faithful to the spouse you haven't met yet until you meet them. Can I get an amen to that? Okay? Marriage is honorable. God created marriage. And it is one man with one woman for a lifetime. Amen? God created it. God made the rules for it. And the world has attacked marriage. The world has tried to redefine marriage. And guys, God is the authority on marriage because marriage is a biblical and a Christian concept, not a worldly one. They don't have marriage. They have some kind of an agreement. I love the picture of marriage because it's a picture of Christ in the church. 
Jesus loved us so much he died for us so we could become his bride. You've heard me use this analogy before. I'll use it again. Hadn't planned on it. When I got engaged to my wife, uh, Lynette, 37 years ago, uh, I took her to the nicest restaurant in Santa Cruz, and I was working uh, at 7-Eleven, and I was a laborer for a buddy of mine's construction company. So I was broke as a joke. I had no money. So I went and bought her a diamond ring that you had to use a magnifying glass to find the diamond kind of thing. <laughs> but it was, it was the best I could do. I sold a bunch of my baseball cards and stuff to get, get her a ring. So I got this ring. I took her to Shadowbrook. I got down on my knee in Shadowbrook Restaurant and asked her to be my wife. And she said yes. Praise God. And we were both in tears, and we were just so blessed. And, you know, some months later, uh, you know, she walked down an aisle. And when she walked down the aisle and, and we said our I do's, we made our commitment to each other, her name went from Lynette Weir to Lynette Johnston. And she became my wife. And we exchanged rings. And that ring is a 24-hour-a-day, tw- 70-week reminder that I belong to her and she belongs to me. It lets the whole world know that I'm spoken for and she's spoken for. Now, why am I sharing this with you? Well, Jesus proposed to every one of us, but not on his knee at the Shadowbrook restaurant, but on the cross of Calvary. He said, will you be my bride? And see, when we say yes to him, he doesn't give us a ring. He gives us the Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of us, who's a down payment on heaven. Amen? And you know what? Only after we accept his proposal, only after we say Yes, I want, you to, I want to be married to you. I want to be a part of your bride. Not only does he give us his Holy Spirit, but then and only then can we use his name. And that name is Christian. Amen? See, my wife became Lynette Johnston only after we got married. You only become a Christian after you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Amen? So marriage is honorable. It's a picture of Christ in the church. And the world attacks it today. And we're going to talk about the ways... It gets attacked. Now, let me, again, I'm going to use some tact here. It says, and the marriage bed is undefiled. In a time when sexual immorality and perversion are running rampant, many have viewed all physical intimacy as being, there's two extremes. All physical intimacy is wrong. Well, it's not. Okay, physical intimacy, and I'll just use the word, sex is not wrong. God created it for a man and a woman who are married. Amen? And the Bible says the marriage bed is undefiled. And God, it's a blessing. Three great things that come from intimacy in a marriage. Procreation. Praise God, your parents. Amen. (laughs) Procreation. It's also for for pleasure in marriage. But it's also, and this is how I would define it, the glue that keeps a marriage together. See, God uses that physical intimacy between a husband and wife that is, is, is a relationship that they have nowhere else. And it's a relationship that continues to bring them together. And we need to remember that God created physical intimacy. The Bible celebrates it within the commitment of marriage. Read the Song of Solomon sometime. (laughs) The Bible tells us our bodies are not our own within the context of marriage. They're meant for the fulfillment of our spouses. Here's what happens. When you lack physical intimacy in a marriage, it opens the door for adultery, division, and divorce. Amen? So if you're in a, if you become roommates with your spouse, you need to be intimate again. Can I get an amen to that? And you, and you don't withhold intimacy to punish your spouse. Can I get an amen to that? That was kind of weak. Can I get an amen to that? Okay, don't do that. Okay? 
Because here's the reality. I talk, to, I talk to couples all the time, or I talk to people all the time where there's adultery, and I will tell you 95% of the time, there's a lack of physical intimacy in the, in the marriage. Because here's what happens. If there's no intimacy in the marriage, people are going to look for it somewhere else. And the enemy will bring somebody, you know, if, if the spouse is pushing you away and then you go to work and someone's, you know, being very flirtatious and telling you how beautiful or how handsome you are and throwing that, and the enemy will use that to divide, amen? So the marriage bed is undefiled. It's a blessing. There's nothing dirty about it. I've heard Christians say to me, well, I think it's only for procreation. What Bible are you reading? <laughs> amen? <laughs> do not withhold intimacy. As Christians, it is with, again, when we do, it is a sin to withhold intimacy in your marriage. And while God created intimacy in marriage, it's good, and the world has perverted it. You've heard me say this, that sex is like fire. You put it in the, you put it in the uh, fireplace, it warms your house and cooks your food. You put it in the drapes, it burns the house down. Can I get an amen? So intimacy in marriage is wonderful. That intimacy taken outside of marriage is sinful, it's wrong, and it's going to bring on a disaster. Can I get an amen to that? Amen? Now, he says there, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Anybody have a cage, uh, an old King James Bible? What is a word there for uh, fornicators? Whoremongers. It's in the Bible. <laughs> Whoremongers, God will judge. He equates fornication to being a whoremonger. And let me say this. I'm just going to be as blunt as I can be. If you're engaged and going to get married, it doesn't give you permission to do stuff you shouldn't do until you're married. Amen? And by the way, if a guy pressures you to do that, he's not the guy for you. Kick him to the curb and Joshua and I will help you. Can I get an amen to that? A godly man will treasure his wife and treat her with purity and treat her with kindness and love and grace until the moment they're married, and he will not pressure her at all. And if he does, get rid of that guy. Can I get an amen? By the way, swiping right? What's up with that? Can I get an amen? No, no, no. Yes. Pathetic. Can I get an amen to that? God has a person for you, and do not settle for less than the person God has for you. And every time you're with somebody else prior to marriage, you are giving away something that belongs to your spouse that in some ways you can never recover. Amen? When I was a youth pastor, I used to say, look, you got a bag of cookies. You're giving out cookies. Don't have a bag of crumbs left for your spouse. Can I get an amen to that? Don't give away what doesn't belong. And again, even in the church today, I've had people say to me, oh, well, pastor, you know, it's 2000. Stop it. Just stop it right now. I will knock you out in Jesus' name. Stop it. (laughs) Just stop it. Guys are dogs. And every guy here, hey, man, that's true. (laughs) It is. You know why daughters have dads? Because they know guys are dogs. (laughs) I kept lifting weights just to be swole till my daughter got married to scare everybody half to death. Whoremongers. By the way, the word in Greek is pornos. Guess what we get from that word? 
pornography. Let's be direct. They were going to do a study recently, a couple years ago, and they wanted to do a study on how pornography impacted men. And they said they wanted a control group of men who watched pornography and a control group of men who couldn't, who hadn't. You know why they couldn't do the test? They couldn't find anybody who hadn't. Couldn't find anybody. You know the number one source of income on the internet? It's pornography. I work in sales and we sell advertising and they put up the top 10 websites on the internet and Google's number one and Yahoo and then it's a bunch of porn sites. And you know what? In a lot of ways, I hate the internet because here's what it does is it brings into your home things that you used to have to leave your house to go get. And so now that phone, as our youth pastor calls it, digital crack, so addicted, amen? Right into your house can come Bible messages, pictures of your grandkids, pornography, amen? In a room this large, there's some guys here struggling with pornography. I want to encourage you, repent. Repent. It's harming your marriage if you're married, and it's harming the woman you're going to marry if you're not married yet. Can I get an amen to that? And the Bible says, if you're right, I offend you, pluck it out. How many of you guys saw the movie uh, Fireproof? What did he do with his computer? He beat it to death with a baseball bat. <laughs> Why? Because it's... It's better to have no internet at all, no computer at all, and save your marriage, amen? You, if you need to go back to a flip phone, feel free, amen? <laughs> go back to a flip phone. There's also a thing called covenant eyes where you can put one of the pastors here or somebody else on, your, and I'm on about 30 people's lines right now, and what happens is if they, every site they go to, I get it sent to me at the end of the day. I had about four or five guys say, dude, I, I kept doing it knowing God was watching, but when I knew Pastor Dave was watching, it scared me. <laughs> because I might come knocking on your front door. Sup, bro? Amen. <laughs> what are you doing? Respect and honor your wife. And those girls you're looking at are somebody's daughter. And they're probably drugged up. Do not support that nonsense. Can I get an amen? And if you're not married yet... You be faithful to the woman you haven't met yet until you meet her. Amen? Honor the Lord. By the way, homosexuality. God hates it. Do we love homosexuals? That's the answer. Absolutely. Do we want to see them saved? Absolutely. We're all sinners saved by grace. But homosexuality is perversion. And the devil's behind it. they got a rainbow flag. Come on. The rainbow, created by God after he wiped out the earth because of perversion in the days of Noah's, and they uses the flag for perversion. And now they've got marriage, and they want to pass marriage, and they say they don't care what we think, but they want, to, want us to agree that their behavior is okay, because deep down, they all know it's wrong. Amen? There's no one looking at porn that thinks it's okay. Although I did a pre-marriage counseling for this couple that got saved in our church, and he, he was a brand new Christian. We're two weeks in, and I'm doing pre-marriage counseling with him. And he's like, oh, so I have to get rid of my porn? <laughs> yeah, bro. Good idea. <laughs> You're committing adultery digitally, amen? You're fornicating online. And again, unmarried people. Uh, we, we live in a time right now, it's so tragic. 
the way that it's just all about pleasure for me and I don't care about you. I don't care about you. I'll just use you for the moment, kick you to the curb. And here's what happens. I've, I've counseled a lot of you know, young women who, you know, maybe they were molested or they were involved, they were very promiscuous, and their life is just a disaster. And they have such a low value of themselves that they think the only thing men want from them is their body. Let me just clue you in, ladies. What you win them with is what you win them to. What you use for bait will determine what you catch. Amen. So if you, you know, if you're walking around being very revealing of your body and you're dressing in a way that's going to cause men to lust after you and you enjoy that, don't be surprised when every guy who comes after you just lusts after your body and cares nothing about you. And a godly man is going to fall in love with you. He's going to fall in love with the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. And he's going to treat you with honor and respect. He's going, to li- he's going to be willing to lay down his life for you. He's not going to mistreat you. He's going to care for you. Can I get an end to that? So dress appropriately. Amen? Amen. Dress appropriately. Guys are dogs. Don't ring the bell. Can I get an amen? They're no bueno. It says, and adulterers God will judge. Those who are married and become involved in a sexual relationship outside the bond of marriage. See, society sees sex as no big deal. And those who hold the biblical values as prudes who need to lighten up. But the world is not the standard God and God's word is. By the way, it's not an affair. I'm having an affair. Like it's a catered affair. You know what I mean? It's not an affair. It's adultery. Amen? Amen. Now, in a room this size, there's no doubt people that have committed adultery in the past. If you've asked God to forgive you, he's forgiven you. Amen? And if you've had a spouse who's willing to stay, God's highest is that the, the spouses stay. Can, it doesn't always happen, and I'm not saying it has to, but stay and pray. Can I get an amen? My dad used to say, don't bail out, work it out. You made vows, honor the Lord, be faithful going forward. Amen? That's God's highest. If he's a perpetual adulterer and won't stop, maybe he needs to be sent packing. Amen? I've never counseled anybody to get a divorce in my life in marriage counseling. Never have. Never will, because I don't want to be the one making that decision. My heart's always to be, let's try to restore your marriage. Now, there are times that people have gotten it and they have biblical grounds and they weren't disobeying God, but they're certainly not going to get it from me. By the way, those who violate the sanctity of marriage, it says God will judge. Sexually transmitted diseases. I had people leave the church in Santa Cruz, got mad at me when I dared to say that I believe AIDS is judgment from God. Now, do innocent people get AIDS that had nothing to do with it? What's the answer? You children get born, are born with it sometimes, right? But it's because of the sin of their parents that it happened, right? You might get it at the dentist, but that's so rare. But here's the reality. Guys, I've never worried about getting a sexually transmitted disease because I love my wife. I'm faithful to my wife. I'll always be faithful to my wife. It's not an issue for me. Amen? But when you're living like the world and, you're, and then people get it and then they'll be bad at God. Lord, I've been disobeying you and now I'm reaping the consequences. We need in enjoying spiritual marriageship, our home is the first place where Christian love and fellowship should be practiced. Amen? And sometimes it's the last place. Sometimes somebody's really sweet and kind all day long, they're at work and they're loving on people and they're kind, and, they're, and then they get home and they're tired. And I've already given out all the love I can give today. I've given out all the kindness I can give today. They plop in their chair 
and want to be waited on, or they just don't have time for each other because they've been loving on everybody else. Let me encourage you that the first person, your first ministry is your spouse. The, my favorite person is Lynette Johnston, and I love all of you, but you don't come close. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> love you all, die for you all. That's my girl. Can I get an amen? And I love her so much, I can hardly stand it. And that's the point. That's how marriage should be. Amen? We're the bride of Christ. How much does he love us? He'd rather die than live without you. Amen? And a man who's willing to die for you will be willing to live for you. A man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. Amen? Now, look, stuff happens with COVID. Maybe you lost your job. I'm not talking about that. Go get another job. I'm talking about guys who just choose to be lazy and let their wife support them. Don't bring that guy to my office, please. Please. No. Oh, Lord, help. Amen. Laziness is a sin. Amen? Get up, go to work, provide for your family, be the spiritual leader of your household, and be the man of God that God's called you to be. Amen? amen? One lady said amen, no guys. <laughs> a dedicated Christian home is the closest thing to heaven on earth. It's a place of intimacy, loyalty, purity, and unconditional love. Amen? And if you've gotten away from that, you can bring that back. You can bring it back. Amen? You absolutely can. It begins with a Christian marriage that takes a stand for purity in the midst of a perverse world. And our kids need to be taught that. We've got youth group kids over here. All you youth group kids, God has a person for you. You pray for your spouse right now, and you wait for them. And someone else asks you, I'm waiting for the man. I'm waiting for the man God has for me. You just keep walking, bro. Can I get an amen? <laughs> keep stepping. <laughs> amen? And I get it, the flirtation and all that stuff. I, I get it, but um, I, I've told you guys this before, that one of my most treasured possessions that's in my safe at home, I told my daughter on our way to high school, I love you enough to have you be mad at me for the next four years. You got enough friends, I'm going to be your dad. And we don't believe in dating. We believe in courtship to marriage. You ain't getting married in high schools. You're dating nobody. She didn't like that. <laughs> Do you know that after she met her husband, she wrote me a three-page letter? It's in my safe at home. She said, Dad, you were right. All those other guys that Kevin was worth, I would always tell her, baby girl, the man God has for you is worth the wait. Don't let that be messed up by these knuckleheads. Can I get an Amen. I'll be real trying, I call them hairy-legged perverts, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Stay away from my daughter. Can I get an amen? I'm just saying, okay? But we're praying for the man God has for you. You know, when I started when she was born, I would go into her room every night, lay my hands on her, pray for her, and I would pray for her husband every day. And when, Ke when I met Kevin and I put him through the ringer, God bless that brother, I put him through it. And I said, look, anybody worthy of my daughter is going to be willing to do whatever, I'll do it. And he did. And when he asked me to marry my daughter, I said, it was easy to say yes because she loved the Lord before she met him and she loved him even more after they had been courting for a year. And when I said he may kiss the bride, it was the first time they ever kissed. They honored the Lord. Not, and I'm not saying that has to always happen, but the point is, pray for the person God has for you. My daughter wrote, he was worth the wait, Dad. 
Thank you, Dad, for loving me enough because Kevin was worth the wait. They've been married 14 years, and even now when I see Kevin, he'll come up and hug me and go, thanks, Dad, for taking care of my bride. No problem, bro. No problem, bro. Amen? Let's finish up. Verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Here's a problem in the world today. We need to learn to be content with what we have. The Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. And the world barrages us with things that, to make us think we need them to be happy. You need a bigger house. You need a better car. You need this newest gadget. You need the latest thing. And what happens is, and covetousness is also when we look at somebody else and what they have, and then it makes us dissatisfied that we don't have as much. That can even happen to pastors. When you go to a pastor's conference, almost the first thing they'll ask you is, how many people go to your church? And if you say anything less than a thousand, they don't want you to have time for you. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. Be careful. But the point is you can covet anything. And you can covet even stuff in ministry. But we need to learn to be content with such, with the things that we have. Whatever we have, let's be blessed. By the way, how many guys have a, a place to go sleep tonight? A, a, a roof over your head. Okay. How many guys have a refrigerator with food in it? Okay. You're already in the top 5% of the richest people in the world right there. Amen? Go to a third world country. They don't, have, they don't know what they're eating tomorrow. They don't, they don't have a, you know, they don't have a, we're so blessed. Amen? So we need to learn to be content with what we have and be thanking God for what we have, not disgruntled because we don't have more. They asked uh, Rockefeller, how much money did you need to be happy? Was it 1 million, 10 million, 50 million? Was it a billion? What's the number? His answer was a little bit more. See, because your flesh will never be satisfied. Amen? No amount of money, no amount of stuff, no amount of fame, no amount of position, no amount of sexual immorality, none of it's going to satisfy. No amount of drugs, it's not going to satisfy. It's just going to leave you wanting more. Amen? And the exhortation here is, we know the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, but be content. These early Christians may have lost a great deal from their faith. See, keep in mind, he's talking to the early Christians. They may have lost their homes. They may have lost their jobs. They may have lost their families completely who kicked them to the curb as soon as they gave their life to Jesus. Well, we're, you're done. You're, you're, you're worshiping that false Messiah. You're out. And you know what he's telling them? You be content with what you have. Maybe you don't have your home anymore. Maybe you're, you're sharing a place with 12 other Christians because you lost your house. Be content with that. See, when we have Jesus, when Jesus is all you have, you realize that Jesus is all you need. And when you learn to be content be content. True contentment does not come from material things. Only God can truly satisfy your heart. Paul wrote this in Philippians 4. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, contentment has much more to do with what... Uh, what you are on the inside rather than what you have. See, if you have the Lord, you're at peace. He, you have the Lord, he, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Again, it's a right walk with God, not a certain amount of money that brings peace. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Notice what he says there, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That ought to bring you contentment right there. Amen? If I lose my house, I still have Jesus. If I lose my job, I still have Jesus. Jesus. 
If, my, if I'm diagnosed with cancer, I still have Jesus. If, if my kids are in rebellion, I still have Jesus. See, guys, no matter what this world does to us, no matter what happens in this world, we still have Jesus. It's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him. Amen? It's better to be in a shack with Jesus. It's better to be, be in trials and difficulty and poor health with Jesus than in perfect health living in a mansion without him. Amen? Guys, let's learn to be content with what we have because, guys, we really we have everything because we have Jesus. Finally, last verse. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Man, I love that. Our peace is in him, not our career, not our possessions, not our wealth. Real contentment comes when we trust God to meet our needs, and he is our source of security. I will not fear what men can do to me. Early Christians were saying that knowing they could be fed to lions. See, context is key, right? You take a text out of context, all you left is a con, amen? So when you look at the context, these guys could be fed to lions tomorrow. And they're being told that it says right there in that verse, what can man do to me? Pastor Day paraphrase, can't threaten me with heaven. Amen? Because see, even if they feed me lions, okay, then I'm in heaven. If I've given my life to the Lord, he can do with it whatever he wants. If I have to go through trials and difficulty and he might be glorified, then okay, Lord, my life is yours. If I'm going to die younger than I would hope, okay, well, guess what? Heaven's better. And it's a blessing. God is for us. Who can be against us? You plus God is the majority. Amen? If the whole world is doing this and you're on God's side, you're on the right side. And he won't leave you. There's peace in knowing that man can do nothing to me apart from God's will. Do you know that nothing can happen to you unless God allows it? Some people struggle. I'm mad at God right now. He's allowing some tough stuff to come my way. Well, you surrendered your life to the Lord and everybody used mightily in scripture suffered greatly. So if you want to be used mightily, get ready for some suffering. But it's but light affliction when compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. See, Christians view suffering different because we know it's temporary. And we know what the suffering will bring about is eternal. Amen? May we keep our focus there. Fear God, not men. So as we, closing, as we live by faith, enjoying spiritual fellowship, brotherly love, extending hospitality, ever mindful of those who are suffering for the sake of the Lord, enjoying intimacy and purity in our marriages, remaining pure in anticipation of marriage, not getting caught up in the pursuit of worldly possessions, but being content with God's provision and God's presence, knowing that intimate fellowship with him is greater than anything this temporal and fallen world has to offer. Can I get an amen to that?